0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth In Life today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, we're continuing our series today, A Well-Researched Christmas. Yeah. Uh,
1: remind us again, why is this so important? Well, you know, Luke tells us at the beginning that he uh, not only went over every single historical document that was written by eyewitnesses that were available to him, uh, as well as interviewing the various uh, writers. So we we should know for certain what the eyewitnesses at the time of Jesus actually said about him. That's what the book of Luke is. That's exciting for us.
0: And amongst everything else that's going on, it'll give us a true perspective of who Christ is. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, join us in just a few minutes with Dr. John Newfeld as we continue our series, A Well-Researched Christmas.
1: I have been talking about a well-researched Christmas, and I've called a series this from Luke chapter one because a great many people don't understand what Christmas is all about. Uh, Luke, who writes the book of Luke, tells us very much at the outset that he writes a book because um, he has researched carefully the life of Jesus by looking at all written documents and also by interviewing eyewitnesses of Jesus and he has put all of this stuff together and compared the documents and has come together with a well-ordered account. So what we have in the book of Luke is not fantasy about Jesus or fantasy about Christmas but it actually comes from researching the eyewitness accounts. Luke begins the book of Luke by talking about a man by the name of Zechariah in the temple and God giving a promise that he's going to have a son and his son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. I'm coming now to Luke chapter one, verse 26. And let me begin to read. It says in the sixth month. Now, when Luke chapter one, verse 26 says the sixth month, he means the sixth month since a woman by the name of Elizabeth has become pregnant. Elizabeth was an old woman past the age of menopause and she is told that she will become pregnant by her husband when it wasn't possible. And for five months, she hides herself, doesn't tell anybody that she's actually expecting a child. But in the last month, she's gone public. I'm pregnant, I'm gonna have a son. And everyone is kind of overawed. And then it says in the sixth month, that is in the sixth month of her pregnancy, it says the angel Gabriel was sent from from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, tiny little village up in Northern Galilee, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. there's a lot of things to talk about here. And, And one of the things that I really need to mention is the very sure word in the scripture, that when Mary became pregnant with Jesus, she was a virgin who had been betrothed. Now in the ancient world, betrothal is very different than engagement is today. You know, when there's an engagement, you know, a guy gets down on his knee and he asks a gal to marry him and then he's got, you know, a ring in a box and he opens up the ring and then she wears the engagement ring. And if the engagement doesn't work out and they don't become married, I mean, you know, they break up and it's hard and there are hard feelings, but that's the end of it. Well, in the ancient world, betrothal, you didn't break up um, because no you know, guy ever asked a girl to marry. That was actually done by the family. And then they would have a betrothal ceremony, much like a marriage ceremony. And they would become betrothed with family and friends all witnessing the event. And then both the guy and the gal would go and live with their respective parents. They would have no physical contact with each other for a period of a year. In fact, if they were to have physical contact, that was considered adultery. And the only reason one could break a betrothal was because of adultery. That's the only reason. So betrothal was actually a vow that was taken which was as solid as marriage, but it allowed no sexual contact until the marriage actually occurred. And that's what we have in Mary. She's a young woman. Uh, Some say she might have been around 15 years of age. I guess that's probably true. And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And they are of the house of David. They are both from the tribe of Judah. That is the royal family in Israel. Verse 28. And he, that is the angel, came to her, that is the woman, said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, if you're from Roman Catholic background, you've probably learned this, day, uh, this verse like this, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. A- and some people believe that Mary must have been full of grace, that is, she becomes a recipient of grace to others, but it's not actually what the text says. Mary has received grace. She doesn't give grace, she's received it. The angel comes and says, you're favored of God. Now, grace in the Bible is always undeserved. Mary is presented precisely as she is. She's a sinner in need of grace. God's kindness needs to be poured out on her life. But the angel says, you're gonna receive an additional kindness. Something unbelievable is going to happen to you. God is with you. Now it says later on, she's greatly troubled at the saying. Well, she's troubled at the saying, the Lord is with you. And that's because in the Bible, whenever you read the words, the Lord is with you, it usually comes with a divine command. So for instance, there was a a commander in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon, and when an angel came to him and said, the Lord is with you, he was called upon to go make war with a group of people called the Midianites. Um, When David is told the Lord is with you, uh, he was told that he had a assignment from God that he was about to perform. So the words, the Lord is with you is a technical phrase. It usually means God has an assignment for you. So that's why she's troubled. She's wondering, I wonder what that can mean if an angel from God, who is one of God's mighty and powerful generals, who stands in the presence of God and receives orders from God, comes to me and says, the Lord is with you. God must have an assignment for me. And she knows that. So here she is, this betrothed young woman and an angel has appeared to her. And it says in verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the say and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, what's behind this greeting. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now I need to stop here because, wow, that's a mouthful. I mean, you can almost imagine this young woman, let's say she's 15, and uh, this is, uh, this is a, an amazing thing to say. So let's take it one step at a time. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Now, in a little bit, we'll talk about the fact that she is a virgin and she she questions this. And then it says, he will be great. There's so much in that little phrase, those four words, he will be great, that gives rise to everything else. So let's find out what this angel actually told Mary about the coming of Jesus. In the book of Luke chapter one and verse 15, uh, the angel of God is coming to Zechariah in the temple and he tells him that, that his wife is going to bear a son. And then the angel tells him what kind of a son he's going to be. I'm reading Luke 1 it says, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, that's fascinating because when that same angel goes to Mary and announces that she's going to have a son, it says in Luke 1.32, he will be great. So the only difference between the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and the announcement of the birth of Jesus is that in the birth of John the Baptist, it says he will be great before the Lord. And in the birth of Jesus, it simply says he will be great. Now, if you're not careful here, you might say, well, it's basically the same thing. Except whenever it says he will be great without reference to before the Lord, that's only ever spoken of in relationship to God. God is great. When human beings are great, they are great before the Lord. You see what I'm saying? That is, they are great in his eyes. They're not great in and of themselves. They are great as God approves of them. But Jesus is never said to be called great before the Lord. It simply says he is great. That is, his greatness is in himself. That's a fascinating thing to say. And the angel tells Mary, this is the child that will be born. He will be great. And then it says, he will be called son of the most high. Now, I'm going to say right at at the outset, this is a controversial passage of scripture. But Luke has researched this very well. And that's precisely what the angel said to Mary. That the son that will be born to you will be called the son of the most high. He will be called son of God. What does that actually mean? Now I can say this, I have a son and my son is the product of myself and my wife's DNA. Whatever my son is, he is the product that comes fully from our body. My son is human because his mom and dad are human. My son is a point of beginning and a point of an ending because that's what his mom and dad are. You see, and that's the point here. If this child will be the son of the most high, it means that he will be one with God. Nothing short of that. This son must indeed be God himself. And then it says, the Lord God will give him the son. That is, the the father will give the son the throne of his father, David. That is, Jesus is not only the son of God, but he is also the son of man. He's born to a human woman, and at the same time, he is also the son of God. In his humanity, he comes directly from the line of David. That means that he must be the Messiah. He sits on David's throne and will rule the world. In fact, that's what the angel says. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That is, this is the long expected King of Israel who will live forever and never die. That's what it says. Now, Mary says to the angel, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And it's really on this point that a great deal of liberal scholars have questioned the idea of the virgin birth. So let me help you with that. Was in fact Mary a virgin when Jesus was born? Well, the answer to that depends upon whether or not you believe there are such a thing as as a miracle. Now, I'll say this. Scientists will tell you that matter Something, whatever the world is made of, all these molecules that, that run around the universe, all of them are not eternal. They have a point of beginning. They originated out of something, but here's the question. How can something come out of nothing? Well, the Bible answer for that is that something comes because God ordered it to be. The fact that there is something, that there is physical matter rather than nothing is because it happened by a miracle. God called something to exist where there had not been something, that's the nature of God. God can do that, he is God. And so if God can call the universe into being, he can also call a virgin to conceive and bear a child. That should present us with no difficulties at all. And furthermore, it also answers this question. How can we say of Jesus that he is both fully God and fully man at the same time? And here's the answer. Jesus has no earthly father. He is conceived by a miracle of God. He is brought to bear in this earth out of divine means, not out of human means. And yet he is fully human because he is born of a woman. In the virgin birth, we see both the doctrine of Christ's full deity and his full humanity at the same time. So Mary says, how can this be? I'm I'm a virgin. And the angel answers her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. It's repeated again. No mistake whatsoever as to who the identity of this child is. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. I know there are people who say, "You know, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great prophet. I'm just not ready to accept him as the Son of God. We have to understand that every single eyewitness that Luke interviewed about the life of Jesus confirmed this fact. Jesus was always called the son of God. It's not something that came up hundreds of years later that got attached to the Christian faith. It is foundational to the Christian faith. This child, Jesus, is unlike every other birth in human history. God entered into our world. God clothed himself in human flesh. God masked his splendor in a veil of flesh so that we would not be overwhelmed with him and that he would give us his mercy. That's what Jesus coming into the world really signifies. It means that in a world that's lost in darkness, that can't find God, the invisible God entered into the world of flesh and blood and showed us his glory. That's the Christmas account. That's what Mary came to learn on that day when the angel visited her and told her about her pregnancy. Mary has become pregnant without a husband. She's a virgin and she is pregnant because God has so touched her womb. It's the most unique event in all of human history. Luke says to us in Luke 1 verse 39, in those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered in the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Well, this is the Elizabeth who's way past menopause and she herself is pregnant. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, That is the baby that that Elizabeth was bearing in her womb leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now stop and say this, every single Christian recognizes that Mary is a unique woman in the human family No, she's not God. And no, she doesn't have the ability to convey grace on us. But she is blessed beyond all women. That is, she alone in the human family was called upon to bear the son of God. That's the point here. And then verse 43 says, and why is this granted to me? Watch these words that the mother of my Lord should come to me. I'll stop here because the word Lord that we find here, when it's used in the New Testament is often a transliteration of the Hebrew word for God. Uh, and there are those you know, groups in the, in, the, uh, in the Christian community um, who have traditionally called Mary, and, and the Greek word for this is Theotokos, and it means the mother of God. And some of us who you know have difficulty understanding that saying, look, God doesn't have a mother. And of course he doesn't. God has always existed. There never was a time when God was not God. God is eternal. I mean, the very nature of being God is mean you don't have parents. You are the eternal God. God exists because it is his nature to exist. You know, being human beings, it's not our nature to exist. There was a time when we didn't exist, and there'll be a time when we don't exist again, but not so with God. God is the eternal one. So on one hand, to say that anyone could be the mother of God sounds like blasphemy, and indeed it is. But that's not what's being communicated here. When Elizabeth says of Mary, she is the mother of my Lord, she means to say that Mary bears the Son of God into the world. The one who has always existed became flesh among us and Mary is the chosen woman to bring the very son of God into the human family. She is the one that God used to bring about this event. That's why Mary's place among the human family will always be a unique place. Is she sinless? No, she's not. She needed grace. That's what the Bible tells us. Uh, Is she in some way, a person that we can pray to for all times, no, she's not. We pray only to God. God alone is worthy of our prayers and our worship. Mary is not. In fact, as we continue to study through the book of Luke, if we were to do that, we'd see exactly that. We would see that Mary uh, took her place among the disciples and she, like everyone else, bent her knee and called Jesus her savior and her Lord. See, that's the fascinating thing about Christmas. How is it that the mother of Jesus would bow before Jesus and call Jesus her Lord? And there's a marvelous song that's been written at Christmas time by a a guy named Mark Lowry and it's called Mary, Did You Know? And one of the lines in that song, Lowry puts it this way. He said, Mary, did you know that when you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? That grace was given to her alone. She was the one that bore in her womb the very son of God and that nurtured him at her breasts and that sang him to sleep at night, that was Mary's role. But this is the genesis of Christmas. This is a a well-researched Christmas. This is how our world was changed. Think of it this way. You know, the fact that there is a world at all, that there is a universe is because of a miracle. God takes the initiative and calls the world into existence. This is also why there is a Christian faith. The Christian faith doesn't come about because human beings, you know, philosophically thought it through and thought this is what God must be like. That's not the story of the Christian faith. The Christian faith comes into being because God spoke it into being. That's how we came to faith. It didn't come about because a prophet said, this is what God is like. It came about because God himself entered into the world. The word of God didn't come through the mouth of a prophet. The word of God became flesh itself, you see. And that word of God, a real human being entered into this world, that's what Christmas is, and that's what the Christian faith is. And, and as Elizabeth, is greeting Mary. You see, Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. I we don't know how close of relatives they are. Uh, they are relatives nonetheless. And Mary is walking into Elizabeth's house. This old woman by the name of Elizabeth, this unexpected pregnancy, looks at Mary, and she feels her baby leaping in the womb. And she says, blessed are you among all women, because to you has been given a privilege that has been given to none other. You will give birth to a son who will not only change the world, but who will give the entire world the object of their faith. You see, Jesus Christ is not our prophet. He is the object of our faith. In him we trust. He is God come to us, who has come to give his life for us and to make us ready for the throne room itself. That's what happened at Christmas. You see, the Christian story is never a story about how are we gonna reach out to God? The Christmas story is a story about do you know what God did to reach out to us? It's the most remarkable story of all of history. And Luke, who spent so much time interviewing so many people who took copious notes, knows exactly what the eyewitnesses told him, and this, is the story of Christmas. Elizabeth says to Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, and then it simply ends by saying, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and ours does as well, for there is no story like this one. Christmas is a wonderful time of year, my goodness.
0: Well, welcome back to Truth and Life today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, thanks for it's a. It was a short series, yeah. but it was an important series. And you know, I I think of this question only because I think a lot of people talk about it, and some people think it doesn't matter at all. And that's about the virgin birth. Yeah. Like, does it matter? Uh, is it important? Uh, would 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 things have changed at all? Um, you know, there's so much uh, talk about. Uh, was Mary a virgin or not a virgin? What what do you say to things like that?
1: Well, I think the issue is always miracles because as you know, as you read through the, all the gospel accounts, all the eyewitness testimonies who saw Jesus, uh, they talk about walking on water. Uh, They talk about his mastery over nature. Uh, They talk about him healing the sick, the blind, the lepers. They talk about him driving out demons. They even talk about him raising the dead. And then ultimately the story comes to fruition when he himself steps out of his own tomb. So if you're having a problem with a virgin birth, I suspect you're having a problem with everything else that being, that's being said. Now, now, Ben, having said that, a couple of things about Mary's virginity. Um, I, you know, Luke, no doubt, because he's interviewing all of the different eyewitnesses, he would have spent time interviewing Mary. We know that Mary lived out her last years of life in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. She's being taken care of by the apostle John. We also know that uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the apostle Paul had spent a great deal of time in Ephesus and that Luke was attached to Paul's ministry. So you assume that Luke had ready access to Mary even into old age. And what's fascinating to me is that her story never varied. You know, among liars, Stories vary over the years. Hers remained constant. She kept on saying that very same thing. So when you're considering the evidence, I think the the overwhelming evidence is we have truly a historical account of what actually happened. A virgin became pregnant. That's the story of Christmas.
0: Thanks so much, John, and thanks for your series, A
1: Well-Researched
0: Christmas. And I think it puts us in a wonderful place as we enjoy the season that's before us. And remember to join us again next week as we enjoy the new year right here on Truth and Life Today.